Good morning. Good to see each one of you. We're going to be continuing now our uh, study in the book of Leviticus. And we have uh, started in on what we call the Ascension Offering. Uh, Mostly goes by Burnt Offering, although the name of it in Hebrew doesn't have anything to do with burning. It just has to do with what goes up. And of course, when you when you burn the sacrifice on the altar, the smoke of it rises up. So that's why it had the name Ascension Offering. So let's go back now. Uh, and we're, we're back in Leviticus chapter 1. We've been looking at the way that we would go about offering a burnt offering. And... Uh, in verse 5, we last week, nope, the week before last week, we talked about how to slaughter the animal and what to do with it and the significance of it. All right? Because basically, <clears throat> why does, is someone going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? The, the answer to that is because he's putting his confidence in the vicarious nature of Christ's sacrifice. He was the ultimate unblemished animal that the offerer would have chosen out of his herd or out of his flock or even among the birds he could catch. And uh, because you could offer that, though any one of those three categories of, of burnt offering, uh, depending on how poor or rich you were. And then uh, the, the animal's blood was poured out as the, as the offerer would lean his weight on the animal's head and slit the animal's throat with a knife. Uh, a very definite picture in the Old Testament of how the offerer was identifying with the death of that animal. And it would be a graphic identification. You would not be able to miss the fact that that animal is dying for you, for your sin. It was personal. And then we saw that uh, the priest would collect the blood that had been shed. And the Old Testament offerer would have realized, without the shedding of a vicarious sacrifice's blood, there is no forgiveness for me. And over and over, day after day, These sacrifices would go on at the tabernacle and then ultimately at the temple, all teaching God's people. There's only one basis by which God can forgive sin. And that basis is an animal has to shed its blood on your behalf. Why is it? We've been, we've been looking at Romans, and we see that, well, God's people, when Christ came to give himself 
as that attitype of the Levitical sacrifice, why is it they didn't say to themselves, oh, it's our perfect Savior. We've been anticipating his coming for centuries. And now here he is. And, he, and when they saw or heard about his shedding his blood on Calvary's cross, why would they not have said, there's our perfect sacrifice. I need to put my faith in him. Well, why is it? The answer, by the first century, God's people had largely, not exclusively, but had largely been anticipating not somebody to die for their sins because they thought they could establish their own righteousness by fastidious adherence to the law. And you had a whole group of people called the the Pharisees, and they were teaching everybody, yes, the only way of salvation is to adhere to the law and do everything the law commands and do it perfectly. And they were good at the outward. What about the inward? And so our Savior in the Sermon on the Mount keeps saying, now look, you've heard that was taught by, you know, rabbis in the past, such and such a thing. But I say to you, and what Christ was getting at was the internal aspect of the law that informed what people did on the outside. And so our Savior said, you've heard it said, you you shall not uh, commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks on a woman to lust after her in in his heart... There you go. The heart aspect of the law that was impossible to fulfill. I say to you, you're already guilty of adultery. Yet you're walking around telling everybody that if they are fastidious enough and adherence to the law, they can be saved thereby. A terrible condition that had developed by the first century. And so... Not only that, but because people were convinced they didn't need a savior, it was all up to them, they were not looking for the sacrificial lamb of God. They were looking for a political deliverer. And they didn't understand why when Christ was uh, uh, exalted in their eyes as the one that they're finally realizing, oh, this is the one who's going to throw off the rule of the hated Romans. But that wasn't what Christ came to do in his first advent. He came to give himself a ransom, a sacrifice for sin. And they missed it. And then Christ was crucified And they said, oh no, he must not be the Savior after all. He didn't deliver us from the Romans. We're just as much enslaved today as we were before. Oh well, we'll just have to stop 
uh, you know, considering that he was the Messiah, and start looking for another one. Saddest thing. It always comes down to, do you understand that the Levitical sacrificial system is you are given an animal to die in your place. And when it came to our Savior, who said, here I am, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. They said, no, we're not looking for you. We're looking for a political deliverer. And today, we have to be careful. You know, I watch the news, and I can get discouraged, same as probably you do too. You get discouraged by the way things are going in the world. We, I, I suppose I shouldn't watch Tucker Carlson as much as I do. Uh, I love Tucker Carlson. And I you know, don't confess that to very many people, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, if, if that's all you watched and that's all the input you ever got, boy, oh boy, you'd be walking around saying, we need a political deliverer. Who's it going to be? Sure isn't going to be our current president. We need a deliverer. And we'd better not miss the fact that no matter what's happening in the world, our, our God, our sovereign God is in control. Yes, we have a responsibility to inform ourselves, to vote, to uh, work for righteousness in government. And we even have some very good uh, legislators here in South Carolina and in Washington who are very good men, in my opinion, who are on the right track. But our, our salvation is not in political deliverance. Our salvation is in Christ. And no matter how, things, how bad things are getting on our national scene, we have to continually remind ourselves, God is in control. He's working his plan. The latest one is what they're calling Biden bucks. Anybody know what that is? That's a central bank national currency. It's like cryptocurrency that's going to replace dollars. That you're, you know, if you've got money in your wallet, dollars, that's going to be going away. And in your bank account, what's going to be going away is dollars replaced by central bank bucks. So they can keep track of what you and I spend. If they want to withhold funds for us, like, for instance, Trudeau did with Canadian truckers when they rolled into the, the capital and they said, we aren't going anywhere, Trudeau, until you, you take off all these stupid regulations uh, that you've put on us as truckers. Do you know what Trudeau did? He got together with TD Bank. Toronto Dominion Bank. And he said, freeze all those truckers' bank accounts. So they did. They did. 
And then Trudeau has control over them. And that's what's going to happen uh, with us quite, quite soon. You take a look at something like that and you say, but wait a minute, how else is it ever going to be the case that Antichrist can control everybody, at least in the United States, when Antichrist comes, he can control everybody in the world, what they spend, what they have access to, what they don't have access to, don't receive the mark of the beast, too bad for you, there goes access to your funds. I mean, how, we look at that and we say, whoa, this is a key part of the Antichrist's uh, dominion over the world. How could that ever have been the case before, to, you know, before this new cryptocurrency becomes this, the, way, the way everybody handles money in the whole world? All the nations are going to be developing this. Some of them already have, and some of them are still in the process. All right, well, I'm getting far afield here, but you, you, you see that salvation has never involved political deliverance, but always comes right back down to the individual. Do you believe this sacrificial animal is taking your place in death for your sin? The, the Old Testament lays the foundation for the new. And if we don't know the Old Testament, then we're not going to understand what's going on in the New Testament. It had, it, you have to have the proper foundation of understanding. And so what we're talking about is that foundation. Okay, any questions or comments? All right, well, let's move on. What happened next? Well, there was the application of the blood. This was the job of the priests. Because this was an animal from the herd, maybe a bull, it would have had a lot of blood for the police to, for the police, for the priest to collect in probably a fairly large basin. Now, some of the offerings we're going to see, uh, the blood was sprinkled. Uh, that was what happened on the Day of Atonement. But this involved uh, what really is a splashing of the blood. <clears throat> so let's take a look here. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I ate a little snack and it's in my throat. Stuck there. Verse 5 once again. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood, and the ESV says, throw it. I think I like the better better term is splash it out of this big basin uh, onto the altar, the bronze altar. It was a large square. A uh, wooden box overlaid with, uh, with bronze. 
and he shall splash the blood against the sides of the altar that is in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so that blood then was, was applied to the altar of sacrifice. And I'm not going to get in to the issue of whether at Christ's ascension he took his blood to the heavenly archetype of the earthly tabernacle. That's a, that would take us a while to deal with that issue. But um, suffice it to say that that blood was not just simply poured out and soaked into the ground. It was, it was applied to that, that altar where the rest of the sacrifice was thoroughly burned. It was essential that the blood be poured out. Well, why? Leviticus 17 tells us the life is in the blood. In other words, that blood is the life blood of the animal. Without blood, it doesn't survive. That blood carries oxygen throughout the animal's body. And as you're sitting here right now, your heart is beating. It's circulating blood throughout your body. It's keeping you alive. And if you shed it, you're not going to be long for this world. And so it's crucial that this blood be manipulated this way and it's being splashed to picture this is all one same sacrificial animal dying in my place. You know, there's something about shed blood. I know some people who faint at the sight of blood. Do you know anybody like that? I had a friend, when they took his blood, you know, like for a blood test of some sort, he couldn't look at it. He had to look the other way, because if he was to see his own blood in that syringe, he'd faint dead away. There's just something in our psyche that God has built in that recognizes, yes, that blood is a serious thing. And uh, when it's our own blood, it's really serious. Okay, there you go. So it was essential that this be done. Notice the symbol of the Okay, I've already talked about that. Let's go ahead and go to uh, Leviticus 17. <clears throat> and notice... Verse 11, let's go back to verse 10. If anyone in the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. There's some debate as to what that means, cut him off from his people. But most likely, at least in this context, The Lord's going to take his life. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood 
that makes atonement by the life. So that shed blood of that sacrificial animal was crucial. That represented the life that animal is giving for you as a sinner. And that's why our Savior had to die a violent, bloody death. You know, they just, you see pictures of Christ on the cross. Those pictures don't come anywhere close to what it was like to go through a Roman crucifixion. Just a horrible thing. He was willing to do that for us. Thank the Lord. All right, the last step here was the complete burning of the entire animal. All right, we're back in in chapter 1 again. Verses 6 through 9. Let's take a look at that. Then he shall flay the burnt offering, in other words, skin it, and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire and on the altar. But its entrails and its legs shall he wash with water. Those would have been perhaps defiled by fecal material or something, and so they, they had to be washed. And the priests shall burn all of it on, all, on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, it's not as if God needs a meal here. Obviously not. It's all getting burned up. What this is emphasizing is that this is a costly thing for the sacrificer. He's not getting even a morsel of that animal back that he can consume for himself. There's nothing left over for the priests to eat, at least in this instance. And it's all devoted to the Lord, and it's all being turned into smoke. An earthbound animal is now ascending up into heaven up to God himself. And that sacrifice is pleasing to our God. Pleasing in what way? It's satisfying his just wrath on man's sin. He he smells the aroma of that, and in his infinite being, He is satisfied. And it's all, it's all gone. Now you might ask yourself the question, what does that have to do with me? I'm a New Testament Testament believer. Is Is there any application of this for me? Well, of course there is. Everything in the New Testament is based on the Old Testament. Turn, if you would, please, with me to Romans chapter 12. We know this verse very, very well. But I wonder if uh, people basically understand 
of what Paul is getting at here. Romans chapter 12. And verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or the word here could be your spiritual priestly service. That word often refers to uh, a priestly service. You notice if you've got your ESV, there's a note right there, or your rational service, or I like to pick your, your priestly service. So there is a way that as New Testament believer priests, what do we have to offer to the Lord? We have to offer everything we are and have. We give our lives over to the Lord, and we're not withholding anything. We're saying, Lord, just as that Old Testament burnt offering was completely burned up, and I didn't have any of it left, it was gone, we have to tell the Lord. There, it, there must come a point in our lives where we tell the Lord, Lord, you can have everything. Now, you might have done that when you were a little kid at camp. You know, you threw your stick in the fire, and that was representative of the fact that that stick gets burned up, and you are devoting everything you are and have to the Lord. As a little kid, you probably didn't understand the whole significance of that, because there are, the Lord doesn't stop with just, well, you can have you know, my plans in life, as long as it's something I choose, too, you know, that's going to make me happy. And, um, you know, you can have the the choice of who I marry someday, unless, you know, I just find some girl that I just got to marry. Then I, you know, who cares what your will is for for my spouse? Um, And you start multiplying these things. And as an adult now, you realize the Lord doesn't stop at part of who we are, at part of what we like to do, at part of where we want to live. It just, we give everything to the Lord. That is our priestly service. You can have everything, Lord, and, and I don't get to keep control over one teeny little smidgen of a piece. Do you understand how dramatic a thing that is? We are the living sacrifice. Trouble with a living sacrifice, as you've probably often heard people say, is that the living sacrifice can crawl down off the altar. We take back control of our lives. And so that's why this is the type of thing that we, we do frequently. 
No, you might even start off the day, every single day like this. Lord, I give you everything. My hopes, my dreams, my life. Use me as you will, wherever you will, in whatever capacity you will. I can remember as a young man praying that prayer, and I didn't realize what that would involve. I'd always wanted to be something, some profession that dealt with chemistry. Ever since my parents gave me a chemistry set as a young boy, I'd always wanted to be some kind of chemist. I took chemistry in high school. I was thrilled. I was given access to the storeroom where my, my chemistry teacher kept all the chemicals, and, and I figured out that you could make gunpowder from what was in that storeroom. You took potassium nitrate and sulfur and a little bit of ground, finely ground charcoal. You'd mix it all up and, and pour water on it, and then when it dried, you'd crunch that, you'd crunch that up into little granules and... One of my friends had built a model Estes rocket, and so he he had an expended rocket engine. And I said, let's pack it full of gunpowder and shoot it off and see what happened. Well, there's a problem, because gunpowder burns very, very quickly. And the fuel they put in those Estes model rocket engines burns slowly. And uh, unaware of such a fact, uh, we went outside, outside the back of the school. We took the gunpowder, packed that engine full of it, said, oh, this is going to go up way high. You watch. Stood back with a little remote launcher. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Press the button. Nothing happened for about a tenth of a second. And then, kaboom! I'm surprised it didn't blow the windows out of the school. That was, I mean, you wouldn't get away with something like that these days. I'd be in jail or something. But uh, <clears throat> the, guy, the guy looks at it and he goes, look what that you just did to my rocket. I spent hours building that. Sorry, man, I had no idea that gunpowder burned that fast. So it was, it was quite a quite a new thing for me when I found out that God's will for me was to leave my job as a chemical engineer and go to seminary. That it was something that I had never anticipated before, but that was God's will, and I'm glad it was. All right. So, that is our way of applying this to Uh, our lives today. The entire burning of the sacrifice pictures the entire consecration of life to the obedience of God's word. This is the goal of what we call sanctification. Day by day, we're learning more about what it is to give everything to the Lord. We're not there yet, are we? Uh, Anybody want to raise your hand and say, I've arrived. 
No, I doubt you do. And I don't want to raise my hand either. I've got a lot to learn along this line. No, Lord, I'm not going to do that. That's against your word. Please help me. I'm, you know, I've delivered myself as a living sacrifice to you, and so now I need your strength, your grace to live the way I should live. The significance of the Ascension offering is twofold. Number one, atonement of the sinner for his nature as a sinner. Uh, These kind of Ascension offerings were not brought very often, probably. I don't know how often. It It was a big sacrifice intended to symbolize a big event, which was your your dedication and devotion to God. Only a very costly sacrifice could accomplish this atonement. That's why Paul describes the the vicarious sacrifices of Christ in terms of the ascension offering. So let's go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Once again, the New Testament is always founded on our Old Testament understanding. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There, that term fragrant offering is the same concept of that ascension offering being burned on the altar, and the smoke of its burning ascending up to God as a a soothing aroma, as a propitiating aroma. Amazing. Look at the continuity between the Old and New Testaments. The whole of the scripture is an organic, living unity. That's why The author of Hebrews says, the word of God is what? First thing, living. And in Greek, it's even the first word of the verse. Living is the word of God. That's how important it is that we understand the scripture from Genesis 1 to the last verse of Revelation is all an organic living unity. Like a tree, a tree has roots, got a main trunk, got lots of branches, leaves that grow on the, on the branches. That's the way the scripture is. And so we need to live every day, no matter what part of the word of God we're studying, it is all interrelated and has the same message. And that message is, There's only one basis for salvation, and it is atonement and the shedding of blood. Next, evidence of complete devotion to God, what we just looked at in Romans 12.1. That's something that is our responsibility to do. And not only is that pleasing to God, But that's going to be our great 
rejoicing into eternity future, that we, we lived a life of devotion to our Savior. And so when Paul says we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad, it's all dependent on whether we want to keep our own life for ourselves, do what we want, act like the sacrifice of Christ demands nothing of us, or we can live in devotion to him. All right, that's the sacrifice, the ascension offering. Now, here's the next one. We have just a few minutes to begin on the grain offerings. All right, so here's another category. Let's look at chapter 2. Whoops, I better get back to Leviticus. Leviticus 2 and verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. Now, what's this fine flour? Well, in the ancient world, it was a real job to turn standing grain into flour. Uh, You couldn't just take it to a grist mill and have them do it. You had to do it yourself. And there were various ways you did that, uh, but mostly you first separated the uh, chaff from the kernels of whatever it is, barley or oats or wheat, and then you would take those and you would put them through an initial uh, pounding to get them them into pieces, and then they probably had an entirely different machine. I don't know what it would have been or whether they would have just used more force to, to grind that wheat as finely as it could be divided. It was a lot of work. Okay, so here you go. He shall take this flour and he shall pour oil on it. Of course, that's olive oil, not petroleum. <laughs> One time I, uh, <clears throat> there was a fellow dear believer and he read about how Palestine was a was going to be for the Jewish people a, a, a land of, of milk and honey, and it was going to produce a lot of oil. So he founded a company. Something, I forget what was the name of it, it was. He went over there to Palestine and started drilling. <laughs> nope, sorry, this is not that kind of oil. This is olive oil. And by the way, olive oil is not easy to produce either. Um, If you've gone to the Holy Land, you've seen olive presses, big, massive things with huge stones that would roll around the olives and crush the olives and out would come the oil. Very difficult to produce. And put frankincense on it. All right, now frankincense is a, oh, it's, it's an aromatic material that comes from the genus Boswellia. And it was a tree that only grew in certain places that produced this aromatic uh, 
well, it was a kind of a amber solid, and then they would once again grind that up, and it was expensive, really expensive. And so here are the three elements of the grain offering. There's one more, though, too. It had to have what? Anybody know? Last component to it? Salt. All right? So here we go. He shall make, he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. Oh, uh, oh, he shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the, the uh, priest shall burn this as its memorial offering on the altar. Now that term memorial is based on a Hebrew verb that means to remember. This is the remembrance offering. You might say to yourself, what? Has God forgotten us? Can God forget anything? What is this concept of remembrance? Well, the idea is that when the offerer presents this offering, God takes special recognition of what he's doing, and he bestows his his blessing on a life like that. The significance of the grain offering is it's one component of the burnt offering. Because in uh, the ancient world, oftentimes uh, you'd, you'd have both meat and grain, bread, when somebody real important came to visit. Like, for instance, in Genesis 18, 6 and 7, there's Moses, uh, Abraham excuse me, sitting at his tent door in the heat of the day. He looks, and here comes three, quote, men, unquote. Two of them are angels. One is a pre-incarnate appearance of our Savior. And what does, what does Abraham tell Sarah to do? Quick, you know, let, let's make a meal for these men who are coming. They are highly honored. And so that's what they do. He sends a servant, right away kills a calf, prepares the meat, and then Sarah prepares the bread. And so basically the grain offering is not really a separate offering. It goes with the bird offering and enhances its significance. All right, well, we'll we'll pick up here again next week. You can be reading Leviticus 2. Maybe you got a commentary on Leviticus. Study that. And uh, you come armed next week, and we'll tell you, hopefully or you will be able to share with us what you think the significance of this grain offering is. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for uh, your word. We're thankful for uh, the way it informs us of New Testament truth. We're thankful that uh, you have loved us. You You have sent your son to shed his precious blood for us. And we give our lives to you on that basis. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.